My name is Alicia Roth-Weigel, and you are here for Breaking Binary, Ending Inequity in Intersex Care. Thank you so much for being here. We appreciate it. Um, and I will introduce myself last, but rather than reading people's bios, which I think is boring and stilted, I'd rather let my panelists introduce themselves. So maybe we'll start with you, Barbara, and then come down the line. Sure, thank you so much. Um, my name is Barbara Chuback. I'm a urologist at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai in New York City. Um, my specialty is in sexual and voiding dysfunctions. Um, but in my previous life, I worked in bioethics, and before that, I was a history major. Um, and so I bring those perspectives to the way that I think about healthcare. Awesome, thank you. I love that introduction. Um, how do you follow that? So I'm Frances Grimstead, she, her pronouns. I am a pediatric and adolescent gynecologist at Boston Children's Hospital and Harvard Medical School. Um, pediatric and adolescent gynecology is a subset of obstetrics and gynecology. So I was trained in adult gynecology and then additionally did a pediatric subspecialty. I am also dual fellowship trained in gender affirming genital surgery. So what I like to say is that I am a general reconstructive surgeon and a reproductive justice advocate within my field. We love that. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Bria. Pronouns are they and she. And uh, I am not a doctor, but I am an intersex person. And some of the other identities that I hold very close is that I am also black and queer, non-binary, and uh, I am a parent to two fur babies who I miss very dearly. Um, and I work as the director of engagement for a national intersex rights organization uh, called Interact Advocates for Intersex Youth. And I've been doing intersex advocacy work now for about four years in a full-time capacity. I uh, got started as a baby intersex activist when I had the opportunity to uh, join Interact's uh, youth leadership and development program and had the opportunity to uh, speak on the steps of the Supreme Court about uh, why intersex people deserve to be, uh, have their rights protected uh, from workplace discrimination. And so uh, I went from not really knowing how to speak about intersex issues, not really having much experience talking about, um, you know, my own personal, uh, 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 my own personal story to having the opportunity to uh, share my story. Uh, for folks all around the world, and I feel really grateful to be here with you all this morning. Thank you. And I feel grateful to be next to the three of y'all, so thank you for traveling to Austin for this. Um, as I mentioned, my name is Alicia Roth-Weigel. I live here in Austin. A couple of the hats that I wear um, that are relevant to this room, um, I'm Human Rights Commissioner for the City of Austin, so I do a lot of local non-discrimination work um, here in Texas that necessarily means fighting the state on a daily basis, especially right now during our six-month legislative session. Um, I also have my own consulting firm called Intrepida Strategy, where I've done everything from launching reproductive justice nonprofits with former state senator Wendy Davis to um, flipping the U.S. Senate in Georgia to starting venture capital funds uh, to, to invest into LGBTQI plus led businesses. Um, and above all, I am an intersex activist um, like Bria. And um, yeah, I came out for the first time in 2017 in a 
Senate hearing at that big pink marble building down the road, uh, the Texas State Capitol, to help kill the bathroom bill. Um, since then, like Bria, I've shared my story more times than I can count in a variety of different contexts and capacities. Um, one of my proudest was uh, being the White House this June when President Biden signed the Pride Month executive order, which was the first time that a sitting U.S. president has ever mentioned the intersex community, let alone addressed some of our needs. Um, and I'm now working alongside Bria and a bunch of other intersex advocates um, to build a year-long report with the Federal Health and Human Services um, Department on this exact topic that we're discussing today, which is um, inequities faced by the intersex community, specifically with regard to access to healthcare. Um, so that brings us back to our topic. And um, I guess we'll start off because I'm not really sure about the breakdown of the audience and how much context people have. So I would love to know, how would you define what intersex means, both in general as like a definition, but also what it means to you, because those can be slightly different answers. And I can call on specific people, or? Can we first start by defining what sex traits are? Sure, sure. Why, don't why don't you do that for us? us? <laughs> why don't you do that for us, Francis? <laughs> Um, I guess I've only told myself for that. Uh, so this, again, not, not knowing the makeup of the audience, I just figured let's start a little bit from basics and, and define what we mean by things so we all have a shared language moving forward. So sex are, sex traits are what we are born with. Um, they may be things that we identify early on in life or later on in life. They have to do with certain aspects of our body and the ways in which they change and with regards to genetics and hormones and anatomy. So when people think about sex traits, commonly they might think about hair growth or development on their face and their chest and their back, as well as vocal cord changes, so voice deepening at the time of puberty, changes in our chest, some people might call it breast development, as well as genital um, genitals that we are born with or that may change later on. So someone who has a uterus who may menstruate later on, those are all considered sex traits. Um, there is a historic belief that sex traits are only come in two different flavors, that you only have female sex traits or male sex traits, and they kind of come in this alignment. I usually make a chart behind me when it's death by PowerPoint, we don't have that today. So we're going to kind of roll with me on my like hand gestures. <laughs> but the reality is that every sex trait, whether it be things like hair pattern changes, the ways that our bodies produce hormones, the genitals that we have, can all be on a spectrum. And there's not a binary of any one of them. And so whenever someone has a sex trait that may not align with what we typically expect of what we call endosex or non-intersex um, sex traits, then we consider those variations in sex characteristics. And so now, I'm so sorry, I just gave away the definition of intersex, but you're going to get to redefine that one. Gender is something that is internal to ourselves, self-identified, may or may not be aligned with sex traits, which is like a whole lovely other conversation. But I do want to clarify that those are two distinctly separate things, and neither of them are binary. That was so beautiful. Thank you so much, Francis. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, we know what intersex means, what the, what the definition of intersex is, but I love the question, you know, what does intersex mean to you? And uh, I was up last night thinking about that question because, honestly, I think the term intersex, uh, for me, it, the definition changed uh, a lot over the years. Um, you know, I can think back to when I first got started in this work, uh, the term intersex to me really meant, meant um, something that was associated with a lot of shame, 
um, a lot of a lot of fear and trauma and you know all of the um, you know all of the things that I kind of wanted to to you know forget about and and, and push far far into my past until I got connected to the intersex community and then the term intersex meant. Uh, it meant community, it meant joy, it meant um, being able to embrace my body. And I still remember um, how I got connected. It was actually, <laughs> I actually think it was April 2018. <laughs> I, uh, I think I can remember the exact day. Um, I went to Google, as one does, um, and I just typed in the term intersex because uh, so many intersex variation is congenital adrenal hyperplasia, uh, CAH for short. And uh, growing up, I had no idea what that actually meant. I knew that uh, it affected my hormones. Uh, I knew that it was a source of a lot of trauma for me growing up. I uh, developed both uh, masculine and feminine sex characteristics, and it was really confusing. Uh, I didn't really have the language to explain why my body was changing the way that it was. Um, and so, but the term intersex was never a term that really came up in the CEH community. It was never a term that uh, my doctors or my, my parents um, used when they were describing, you know, what was going on with my body. And so, I remember in middle school, <laughs> I remember telling my friends that I was intersex, and I wish I, c I wish I could remember how that term came to me. It must have been some sort of divine intervention because uh, Google, Google in the early 2000s did not exist in the way that it does now, and so I do remember just telling my friends that I was intersex, but not really knowing what that meant. I just knew that it was a term that resonated for me. Fast forward to 2018, this term comes back up because it, it, it's, it's calling to me. It, it feels like um, I, I, need to, I need to explore more. I need to learn more about um, you know, all of the things that I was trying to kind of put off. And so I just typed the term in Google, and this BuzzFeed video pops up. Uh, and for the first time, um, I think the BuzzFeed video, it, it, it's called What is Intersex? And for the first time, I saw live intersex people. Uh, they were an intersex people of color. I saw people that looked like me. And they were smiling, and they were laughing, and they were embracing their bodies. All of the things that I never knew was possible because, again, intersex to me was always a term that I associated with shame and guilt and stigma. Um, and in the CEH community, I learned very early on that you do not bring up the term intersex because according to a lot of people in that community, we're not intersex, we are real women because we have XX chromosomes and because we still have the ability to conceive because we know that in our society, womanhood is still, womanhood is still defined by those things, unfortunately. And so I learned very early on that you do not mention intersex in, in those spaces. And so um, I watched that BuzzFeed video and it changed my life. I got connected to Inter Interact, uh, the organization that I work for now. I got connected uh, to, to their youth leadership and uh, development program. And next thing I know, I was sharing my testimony. Uh, <laughs> I was sharing my story publicly. Uh, I was learning things about myself that I 
I just unfortunately never, uh, I, I just never had access to, you know, the information or, um, you know, I wasn't a, a well-informed patient advocate and I didn't know how to advocate for myself when I, when I was in healthcare settings, but I learned all of that thanks to getting connected to the intersex community and uh, for that I am so grateful and I don't know if I answered the question because I am a rambler, uh, but yes. Thank you. That's what intersex means to me. That is really beautiful. And before I go, do you have anything to add, Barbara? Uh, yeah. Uh, I will keep it brief, though, because I know we have more to talk about. Um, I guess just bringing together what Francis and Bria uh, already mentioned, um, you know, the term intersex was invented by doctors, by medical scientists, around like the mid-20th century. Um, and yes, they used it as a sort of umbrella term um, to include all the potential ways that you can have mixtures of sex traits that would be stereotypically categorized as typically male or typically female in this sort of mashup combination um, where taken holistically, you're kind of neither entirely male nor entirely female, but some combination of the two. Um, and later, at the later part of the 20th century, um, you know, it kind of fell out of fashion in medical science because it wasn't specific enough, right? When you're talking about science and you're doing research and you're trying to figure out what's the right treatment for a given individual, you know, you need more granular data, right? You know, we talk about precision medicine now, right? We want everything to be specific to the individual in order to maximize their benefit and minimize their harm. Um, and so intersex kind of fell out of fashion in the medical literature around the same time that an intersex rights advocacy community was saying, hey, we like this umbrella term because it makes us realize that we are not just individuals. We have power as a community and can be mutually supportive um, and maybe make change. Um, and because it was a better alternative than hermaphrodite, which is the former term that was used that had been der used derogatorily and evolved into being more of a pejorative term. Yeah, so you know, in 2006, there was this consensus document um, that had doctors and intersex advocates and patients all coming together being like, yeah, hermaphrodites are mythologic creatures. They are not real people in the 21st century. We're, we're getting rid of that. Um, but they replaced it with the term DSD, Disorders of Sexual Differentiation, which is kind of also pejorative, right? And so DSD was subsequently kind of redefined, not as disorders, but as differences, right? To try to be less negative. Um, but, you know, it's the underpinning is still this sort of negativity and pathologization. Um, and so not everyone likes DSD either. Um, so then you get VSC, which Francis mentioned, variations of sex characteristics. A lot of words for basically the same idea. Yeah. And just um, to, can I just like, I think from a, what do you want the takeaway point of this to be is we have spent years trying to figure out how to have a shared language about a field as you're trying to move the field forward. And I don't know where you all are at in your careers and what you're going to take from this going forward. But what I would say is it can be really easy to get bogged down in the language. And one of the things I think everyone on this panel agrees with is that regardless of the terms that an individual may use for themselves or that a shared group of people may use, we all still have very common feelings about how we need to change the ways in which individuals with sex trait 
variations or individuals who identify as intersex are being cared for in our health systems and being viewed in our society. And yeah, totally. And I, I think part of that is this work towards depathologizing our identity. So just like being gay used to be seen as a disorder and they would try to shock it out of folks with electric current, still do in some places, um, or just like being trans was seen as a disorder until it was removed from the DSM, what, two years ago, three years ago? Three years ago. Um, we are still seen as a disorder. And so I, like Bria, I, I never grew up, I am intersex, I've always been intersex, but I had never heard that term until I was 27 years old. So I lived over a quarter of a century not knowing that I had a community that I was part of. And that is because I was told from childhood that I had a disorder called complete androgen insensitivity, and I was being fixed, but that I should never tell anyone about it because I would never find a good husband one day, I would get made fun of at school, and so that I should show up and let these doctors do their thing and just keep quiet about it. Um, and that was reinforced by a lot of different systems, not just the medical system, but by society and all the stigma and shame surrounding our community, by my parents and my family, although they've come a long way. Um, and so I grew up, like Bria, feeling a ton of stigma and shame simply for existing, which is weird because I don't know of many other medical differences that still carry that besides certain um, STIs. Um, but I, I think when, and so that's why we're, we're really trying to bring our community out of the medical community. So it's kind of ironic that we're here today on the health and med tech track, but a lot of us, we still need medical support. And because people don't even know that we're here, there's a severe lack of data and undercounting of our community, et cetera. So we'll get into all of that. But back to the original question of like, what does intersex mean and what does it mean to me? Um, I've done a lot of self-work and really realized that it's a fundamental piece of my identity and something that I'm really proud of. And so I like to own the term intersexy because we have been told by society that our bodies are shameful and disgusting and problematic. When I look in the mirror, I see a hot-ass bitch. So um, in addition to everything else, I am intersexy, and I claim this part of my identity with pride. Um, but it took me a long time to get there. And a lot of that is because of these issues that we still face with the medical community. So let's move forward, because I know we have like 25 more minutes before I want to open it up to audience Q&A. So um, in terms of the next question I was going to ask, which is a two-part question, what is your, well, we've kind of answered a little bit of that, which is what is your personal and professional connection to this topic? So I'm going to skip to the next one, which is what do you believe and what have you seen as the biggest deficiencies in intersex care? And I'll let anyone who wants to start grab the mic and start talking about that. Yeah, I'm happy to start. Um, I think um, something that we spoke about last night um, was the lack of care for intersex adults. I mean, uh, we are oftentimes forced into these, um, you know, non-consensual, um, 
irreversible, um, you know, procedures as, as young children before we're able to, before we're old enough to uh, participate meaningfully in the conversation about our medical care. Sometimes and before we're old enough to speak words. Exactly. Because most of the procedures are performed on uh, uh, children uh, before the age of two. And, you know, I, I think that they forget that we grow up. <laughs> uh, we become adults who uh, suffer lifelong consequences of these early procedures. And unfortunately, there's not a, a lot of adequate medical uh, care available to us once we become adults. There's a lot of, um, you know, emotional labor put on us as intersex people, as patients, to educate our providers. And that requires uh, uh, us to be well-informed patient advocates, and uh, which isn't really fair because, uh, again, I couldn't even tell you what CAH meant uh, until I started doing this work, and so it makes me think about, uh, you know, all the care I could have gotten but didn't because I didn't know how to advocate for myself. I didn't have access to to the language or, or the knowledge uh, to tell my doctors. And what other communities are required to come in and educate people who went to med school about how to care for their bodies? Yeah. Trans people. <laughs> just, just to say, there's like a lot of allyship between communities in this struggle shared. Um, yeah, no, go first. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I, I, I would second uh, what Bria said uh, wholeheartedly, um, and uh, you know I come at it from you know, sort of from the doctor's perspective, um, and it's a, it's an enormous systemic issue. You know, there is a division of labor between peds and adult healthcare, um, and. Uh, so there are precious few doctors in general. Very, I can count on one hand the number of urologists I know of in the United States who specialize in the transitional care, uh, kind of guiding patients from being pediatric patients to being adult patients. Um, and none of those few doctors you know, focus on intersex issues. Um, and that's fair. There are a lot of other congenital, uh, you know, health concerns that have ramifications into adulthood. Um, but it's enormous uh, and problematic uh, deficiency. Um, and uh, hopefully one that, you know, I, I work within urology, which has in our surgically focused uh, sur surgery primary model um, has sort of been in the lead in pediatric intersex patient care. Um, I've been going to the American Neurological Association conferences as an attendee or a speaker or you know, both for 20 odd years now. Not once have I heard the word intersex or DSD mentioned outside of the pediatric urology conference, which is a separate conference in a separate space that most urologists do not attend. Um, the, um, the, the International Society for the Study of Women's Sexual Health earlier this month, for the first time, recognized that intersex and trans women um, deserved attention to their sexual health issues in adulthood. Um, so baby steps, but yeah, we got a long way to go. And I will say, I've been sitting on panels talking about intersex health now for a number of years, and I think this is the first time I'm sitting on a panel where I am not the like only person to yell that we need more adult care. Um, a number of years ago, I turned my, um, I 
lobbied for my clinical space, which usually goes up to kind of the young 20s in a Boston Children's Hospital. Um, and I see um, folks with intersex traits up to 35, just because I had nowhere to transition them. Um, and I was Thank very you. grateful that my health system agreed. But that wasn't the only thing that I could do. I had patients who were traveling from around the US to see me, which is not the way that you should receive care. So starting about a year and a half ago, I started going out and offering to primary care clinics that for free, I would train them if they sat through a four hour course in the like clinical competency needs of intersex healthcare. Because I do think we're starting to see like two different paths. We have um, many more clinicians who are willing to learn about what intersex means and to like be grounded in reproductive justice theories and the ethics of what it means to provide um, affirming care, but they are not trained in the clinical competency, which greatly limits the ways in which they can actually practically provide this care. So that has been kind of my little advocacy push and effort along the side. I will also say that I think we are, as we are moving away from universal early surgeries towards later options where individuals get to participate in their own decision making about if, when, and how they are going to um, achieve their own gender embodiment goals with regards to hormones and surgeries. But we are also now seeing that we as surgeons were never trained in how to do these things with older bodies, nor were we trained to know what are the complications. Should we be changing our techniques? And so I know because we're in like this innovative conference, I just like have to give the plug. That from a um, leading edge perspective absolutely needs to be addressed because one of the ways that many people have been able to keep a lot of these surgeries in early childhood is because surgeons will say, well, I'm not trained to do that later, so your outcomes are going to be better if I do that earlier. And that is simply not appropriate. As clinicians, our patients deserve that we are able to augment our care to meet their needs, not that they should be augmenting their bodies to meet our training. And can I just add on to that the need for patient-centered outcome me outcome measures because um, you know what I would have deemed as successful surgery uh, very different from what my urologist deemed to be successful. Uh, and so just wanted to add that. A thousand percent, because surgery, surgeons, doctors carry biases with them just like any other human being in any other field, and those biases guide a lot of what they do to our bodies without our consent that have lifelong ramifications. So in terms of my answer to the greatest inequities, yes, we need to end non-consensual intersex surgeries on children. I was sterilized as an infant which is against international law, but still happens across the United States daily. Um, and it's had all these other ramifications, which we could have this conversation for hours and hours and hours, but I agree that I think the biggest inequity is the lack of competent adult intersex care. So much of the conversation is focused on these surgeries, I think because it's the most jarring for our audience to hear that these children are being sterilized or their genitals are being mutilated by board-certified doctors across the United States, not in like far-off corners of Africa or something that people think genital mutilation happens. Um, so yes, it's the most jarring. It brings people into our movement. But in terms of like the greatest need from the healthcare perspective, there's just such a lack of competent adult care. And like Francis said, I would have to fly across the country to find a, a competent doctor. Um, I have workarounds, and so what often ends up happening is we end up seeing doctors who specialize perhaps in trans care because it's the closest that we can get, but I'll just give a quick example because I know we're talking in very broad strokes about a lot of this, but a specific example for me. So I live here in Texas, and um, 
setting the legislature aside and how they're making trans healthcare illegal and from all different angles at the moment. Um, as of right now, we have LGBTQI plus affirming clinics across the state of Texas called Kind Clinics. And I'm a member of the Medical Advisory Board of the parent company, which is Texas Health Action. They provide everything from STI testing to HIV prevention and HIV care to gender care for trans folks. And so I came originally as a patient trying to get my own gender care. Because I was sterilized, they took my only hormone-producing organs by telling my parents that I might get testicular cancer one day, despite the fact that the risk is less than 5%. Um, anyway, so I am required to take external hormones, not because I'm trying to get bigger boobs or because I want my voice to change, because if I don't take hormones, I will die, because your body needs hormones to regulate its organs. Um, and so I was trying to get my care and figure out what I needed. Um,